Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is Mexico transportation risk with my friend Mark Vickers. Mark is the Executive Vice President and Head of International Logistics at Reliance Partners, one of the nation's fastest growing commercial insurance agencies. 100% of their customers are in trucking and logistics, including over 10,000 motor carriers and 800 freight brokers. So they get us. Reliance also offers borderless coverage, a global insurance program designed to protect businesses with international operations. Mexico is a key player in our supply chains, but their laws are different. So you need to make sure when you're traveling back and forth to Mexico that you get the right insurance coverage, which is why you should listen to my interview with Mark Vickers. So how's it going, Mark? Good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. Mark, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Sure. So my name is Mark Vickers. work with a group called Reliance Partners based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I, however, work up in Cleveland, Ohio. Very nice. So what does Reliance Partners do? So Reliance Partners is the largest and fastest growing transportation and logistics specific insurance agency in the United States. We're also growing our international footprint, something I'm super passionate about. Do you insure freight brokers or trucking companies or both? Yep. So really anyone under the transportation logistics umbrella. So when you're thinking of asset-based motor carriers, when you're thinking of 3PLs, their warehouses, ships, planes, international shipping, anything associated with transportation, we're going to work directly with those third-party intermediaries we're also going to work with some of those shippers directly that have assets. Yeah. And we've had a lot of problems lately in the space. And we're going to talk more about Mexico, but there's just a lot of problems in general with our industry right now with double brokering and a whole bunch of what I'll call non-compliant behavior. And I think most, maybe the vast majority of people are trying to do it right. But all it takes is to work with somebody who's not done the right thing. And it could be accidental. It could be on purpose, but it puts you in a world of hurt potentially. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And we've seen businesses go under and it's not, if you get a large cargo claim that you can't handle, you're gone. <laughs> Our business is not that forgiving and the freight we move is very expensive. So lose it, <laughs> lose it, get it stolen, get it damaged, and you wave bye-bye. The industry just is, there's no second chance on this stuff. You can't, there's no apology that says, hey, sorry, I lost your million dollar shipment. It won't happen again. <laughs> Our KPIs look good other than that. <laughs> yeah. So what, one of the refreshing things for me is at Reliance Partners, our whole leadership team, every single person on there has got a background in freight themselves. It's an insurance company that's comprised of freight people. And I'd still consider myself a logistics person, not necessarily a transportation person, or not necessarily just a, an insurance person. We just tailor insurance products for the transportation and logistics industry because we needed it when we were slanging freight too. Yep. 
and that this is going to be more and more the case because we have 20,000 freight brokerages out there, and some of them have thousands of employees. As technology makes its march, we will need fewer people to do the work. And I think we'll see there's going to be demand for those people to move up and down the supply chain. So I think rather than say, oh, I'm a freight broker and I get uh, trucks for retailers, you're going to say, I'm part of the retail supply chain. I worked at a retailer and in purchasing or transportation. I worked at a warehouse that does e-commerce and start building careers that look a little different than what it might have looked like 20 years ago. So it's natural that the logistics guys who understand the space move into insurance because I don't want to talk to a guy who says, yeah, I'll, I'll insure your home. I'll insure your car. Oh, and by the way, I also got some cargo insurance here for you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I also couldn't agree more with that career path, if you will. And I, I started my career at a company called Total Quality Logistics, opened up a few offices with them, also had a large book of business myself there, also started to get into the, the cross-border business. And I felt exactly what you were saying is, hey, we're going to need less people to move freight we also want to reduce human error associated with moving freight. We also want things to move faster. Believe it or not, in logistics, you want things to move faster. And as, as a response to that, I knew sitting in my seat as a, kind of a, a group sales leader at, at TQL that I, I really needed to get into the logistics or I needed to get the logistics technology space. I needed to be in technology, not just manual freight brokerage. And one of the ways I did that was I was using a tool at the time to get uh, real-time sh shipment tracking. And that tool was MacroPoint. I started to use it so much that got a hold of the leadership team over there and worked some things out. And I ended up joining their team. And MacroPoint became a, an excellent solution for the logistics space. It was a very good step for me personally as well. And I thought it was a very practical level of technology that the shipper, the carrier, and the broker all used, and then it forced them all to work better together. And that was just a, an awesome career jump for me. And it was also awesome to be a part of that sale of MacroPoint to Descartes, which is a Toronto-based TMS and global trade management company several years ago. Totally agree. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined Reliance Partners. Sure. I'm, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I've lived around the country now. Of course, I've spent some time in Laredo, Texas, but I grew up in Cleveland, went to the Fisher College of Business at The Ohio State University. Oh, nice. Was in Cincinnati for a while, five years. Fisher lived up here. And up in right. the Detroit area where I live, he was stuck up here with all us Wolverines. <laughs> but he's but he was a great man. Yeah, glad he got out of Ann Arbor and that whole area. <laughs> I don't know that he did. He was in Detroit, about a half hour away, so maybe he he, he could kid himself that he was not in enemy territory. <laughs> well, I'm glad his dollars went to Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, by the way, he is a was a, he's be a hundred years old if he's still alive a major uh, contributor to all things the Detroit metro area. Great businessman, but also a great man, great family man, very well thought of. Fisher College business was fabulous for me. Got well-rounded in everything. Sure, they had a, a great supply chain department. It's fantastic today. But really, 
I, I wanted to be in, on Wall Street. I wanted to be in finance. Um, but my, my biggest opportunity during the kind of the 2008, 2009 economy, not the best time to graduate, my best opportunity ended up being in, in the logistics space. And I saw as, hey, if you really work your butt off and you, you don't necessarily care about a life-work balance for a few years and you want to grind, the logistics space was a very natural step for me. And I thrived in, in that environment. So when I graduated, I got into freight brokerage. So you're at TQL and then you were at MacroPoint. What, what, what was after that? So during that whole time, I know you said you're an auto automotive guy. A few of my very large clients who are actually using MacroPoint were, were also my clients at TQL. They were like, hey, listen, Mark, you're doing a great job in moving our freight in an expedited manner in and out of Laredo, but we want you to start handling some of our Mexican freight. But in oh, order boy. to do that, <laughs> you've got to get us real-time shipment tracking in Mexico, and you've got to get us all-risk cargo insurance in Mexico. And I'm like, I don't know, like, I don't know what to do here. But MacroPoint ended up being a good solution for that space. And then I also started spinning my wheels on the idea of, hey, is there something that I could bring to market that would provide shippers and the logistics service providers something access to this all-risk shipper's interest cross-border cargo insurance? Is there a way to, to, to bring this to market? And there really wasn't eight to 10 years ago. So I ended up forming a company really a product or a program called Borderless Coverage. I created it because I needed it, created it because some of my logistics clients and some of my shippers were, were asking about it. They, they needed it. They could go live right now. So I had to play around with it for a while and I screwed it up a few times, but found some insurance markets that would take the risk on the risk that I told them what, what was a risk. And we, I founded a company around in the freight brokerage industry really started eating it up. So I honestly created this company while I was at MacroPoint. And then while I was, so MacroPoint got sold to Descartes. And during that time, that acquisition was awesome to be a part of, by the way. But I was also working for a group called Sedlac Supply Chain Consultants. At Sedlac, we did distribution center design, supply chain optimization. And during that time, I spent a lot of time in Laredo optimizing a lot of the, the warehouses and the processes at TransPlace, which then got acquired by Uber. So I was at Sedlac and I was also leaving MacroPoint because of that acquisition. And during that whole time, I really was able to cobble together this concept and user usage started to pick up. We then found a technology partner and automated a lot of these processes. And then Premium started to grow quite a bit, and the amount of freight brokerages that we were that I was servicing started to grow quite a bit. And we started to work with some pretty big names that were requiring significant amounts of more accounting than I was capable of. Sure, the Fisher College of Business was great for me, but I wouldn't consider myself the best accountant in the world. And and I needed some help in that area. That was really when I started. I, I wasn't necessarily looking to sell the company ever. I never wanted to, but I was actually at a, a transportation specific symposium up in, in Columbus, Ohio. And there I met Tom Albrecht. Tom Albrecht was the CFO 
for Celadon, one of the largest trucking companies in the nation several years ago. And Tom was the CFO that was brought on board to actually close the doors at, at Celadon. And, and I feel like he did a, a pretty good job. And Tom also was well aware of Jaguar. Jaguar was and still is the Mexican entity of Celadon. And we just started talking about Mexico, nearshoring, some of the risks of cross-border, told about the product that I was starting. Tom ended up becoming the CFO of Reliance Partners. And then him and he, he asked me to meet their leadership team over there. And their leadership team is Andrew, Chad Eichelberger, Ronald Ramsey, and a few of those guys went down and met him, talked to him about my business, talked about their backgrounds from Access America and Coyote. And man, did we start rapping and ended up, my company, Borderless Coverage, got acquired by Reliance Partners. And I don't want to sound cliche, but I felt like it was a match made in heaven. That was almost three years ago. So it's been working pretty well. Very nice. Very nice. I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America Radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. Getting back to it, before we hit record, we were talking about our natural state. As I think anywhere you live, where we live in the U.S., we assume our laws and our rules and our culture extends past the border. But the more you go over the border, even the Canadian border, you've realized, nope, all the rules are different and we have to be aware of that. And I think as we move our supply chains back from Asia, China, we look and say, well, yeah, this is great because it's going to reduce risk. But there's other risk and there's other rules that we have to worry about. And I have personally been involved in a lot of cross-border stuff in Mexico and Canada, but Canada's easy. We get that. The Mexico stuff, we tend to underestimate some of the challenges down there. And, and again, it's is, is it a good thing that we're starting to bring this stuff back home in the same, same time zones? We understand Mexico and Mexico business pretty darn well, but there's some details that we don't stay on top of. And trucking is definitely one of them. And I also told you, I remember working with a trucking company and they said, oh, yeah, we go to El Paso every day. We got terminals there. And they we cross the border. But we don't want our trucks to cross the border because we've had problems. They We couldn't find a good interchange partner. We had the tires stolen off our trucks and old replacement tires put on. But they also told me they were self-insured. And you told me sometimes when somebody says they're self-insured, what they mean is they think they're adequately insured. But they're not insurance experts. They, that is not their business. And we are in a business of partnerships. And we always want our partner to be the flat-out expert. You say, I don't know how to get a truck, so I call TQL. I don't know how to cross the border, so I call someone who gets it. Same with insurance. We have to be aware that there is very different rules down there. Yeah, so uh, brought up some great points. So nearshoring. It's not just a hot topic. It's not just a trend or it's not just a cycle. It's not just something that's happening soon. Um, this is going to be a, it is happening fast right now. Um, it's also going to be a gradual process. And yes, it's 
it definitely makes sense for a lot of companies to reduce their supply chain risk by bringing their manufacturers and manufacturing and distribution closer to home in the United States by going to Mexico. There's also a number of other incentives. There's the U.S.-China tariff war that's still going on. There's the implementation of USMCA, which is the new NAFTA. There's labor incentives. There's tax incentives. There's a lot of reasons to nearshore your supply chain activities to Mexico as opposed to Vietnam, Thailand, China, Russia. So there's a number of reasons for that. But you mentioned the word details. So that's super important. And that's why there, there is insurance. So one of the details that a lot of these groups are, maybe they're aware of it, but they're not. We, usually we don't get the call until there's a claim. We don't get the call until there's a hijack, until there's a shipment that's stolen, or until a driver is pulled out of the car, beaten or killed, and then, then their cargo ends up missing. Usually we don't get that call until there's a massive claim. And what the call that we usually get is, hey, Mark, we thought that our self-insurance or we thought that our our global policy was going to cover us and it, it didn't give us the coverage that we needed because there was a number of exclusions that we didn't read or we just simply had too high of a deductible and we're not recouping our cargo. What they're also not thinking is, hey, that cargo, it, it didn't get there on time. So it, it shut down our factory. And that's a consequential loss of sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the, so companies are thinking of a very broad picture, but they're not necessarily focused on, hey, are our operational costs being, how are our operational costs being impacted by a cargo loss? And what's our insurance look like? And a lot of these self-insurance programs is are have deductibles of fifty thousand, but most of them, and these global policies have deductibles of around a hundred thousand dollars. And that, that's an important thing to note because most of the freight that's moving across the border is going to be valued between sixty sixty thousand, one hundred fifty thousand, or upwards of that. And if you have a deductible of a hundred thousand dollars, and you have a cargo loss of seventy thousand dollars. There's no point in having the insurance in the first place. So that that's one of the items we're really looking to solve. And when we're being approached about coverage in Mexico, we're typically being approached by a freight broker or we're being approached by a large asset-based cross-border motor carrier. And they're coming to us with saying, listen, our shipper, say they're in the automotive space, our shipper is asking us if we can get them some level of cargo insurance because they've had a few losses in in Mexico. And our shipper has historically relied on their global policy. And that's where, boy, we can really really drive some value in those circumstances. So, yep, that's a detail that's definitely overlooked and a detail that we're solving through Reliance Partners' borderless coverage program. So we know we have cargo hijacking down there. And in how much more prevalent is it down there than it is up here in the U.S.? Um, it's, I don't have an, an exact number for you. I don't think anybody does. I, I would think, but I know it happens because you don't hear anybody talk about it too much up here. <laughs> What's super interesting about my response here is that, yes, 
the reported numbers are way higher, more than double than the United States. But the alarming piece is that most of the incidents or the hijackings go underreported or completely unreported. And the reason behind that is because groups are, you know, they're accustomed to not having any level of coverage at all. So, for example, of a huge fleet in, in Mexico, if that group has their, their load stolen and say that large trucking company is hauling freight for General Motors, General Motors will say, hey, if that, if that cargo loss happens, we're not going to give you any more freight until you indemnify us for that full value of that cargo. So then that, that carrier sitting there and they're like, oh my gosh, they're like, this is this was worth $120,000. I can't access any more freight unless I cut a check of $120,000 to General Motors. And that trucking company- What does indemnify mean for those who aren't insurance business? Make you whole means- Pay me. Pay you back. <laughs> so that trucking company would owe that shipper, General Motors, $120,000 in order to keep hauling freight. And that, that really- creates a conundrum. And it, it's something that creates friction in between a shipper, a freight broker, and a motor carrier that really doesn't necessarily need to be there. So that carrier's relying on that freight. They're allocating 50, 100, 150, 200 trucks sometimes to one specific contract on maybe just two or three lanes. So they can't afford to not um, have access to that freight. And on the flip side, Boy, does that General Motors need access to those trucks because there's no way in heck that they're going to be able to just grab that kind of capacity in a, in a snap of a finger from a competitor. The way that the cross-border in Mexico works is a lot different than in the United States. In, in the U.S., there's a much bigger spot market than you'll find in Mexico. It's in cross-border. These shippers are awarding larger contracts that are specific around commodities and they're specific around lanes. So that shipper can't just find new capacity real quick. So really the, the way to, to fix that friction is by implementing, whether it's through us or from someone else, is you've got to implement a shipper's interest cross-border cargo insurance program. And the way it works is that freight broker, that asset-based motor carrier can be obtaining that all-risk coverage in Mexico on really a per-shipment basis on behalf of that shipper. And when that's in place, that shipper is going to say, boy, I'm given this, I'm awarding this huge contract to this partner of mine. And I know that if something happens, we're going to get indemnified immediately from the shipper's interest policy. It's not a contingent cargo insurance policy. This the shipper's interest policy becomes the primary coverage for that shipper and it pays out right away. So it's a huge difference between the United States and Mexico. And here's another detail that shippers and their transportation intermediaries need to pay attention to is that in the United States, just about every single or 99.9% .9 of motor carriers are going to have $100,000 in cargo insurance. They're going to Every shipper's assuming that their motor carriers in Mexico are going to have some level of cargo insurance, but but they they don't, and there's no law around it either. And on the liability side, 
every single motor carrier in the United States is most likely going to have a million dollars in auto liability, and even though the law is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in auto liability. In Mexico, there's a weird equation that equates to the motor carrier being liable for about one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars on a shipment that is weighing about forty thousand. So the average shipment that's moving across the border is going to be forty thousand pounds. So in Mexico, your liability required by law is around $1,250. In the United States, it's $750,000 to a million. So it's pretty big discrepancy there. And most shippers that are considering nearshoring or starting to work in Mexico for the first time, that's a huge deal. And if you're a small to medium-sized business, boy, you better be paying attention to that because you may not have any global policy at all. And the big guys, and I could keep going on and on, but yeah, I think this came up recently on my podcast, and I think it's very true. We have people in our business, small carriers, and I'll also say small brokers, but it may be even larger ones who tend to get into this, and shippers are driving a lot of this behavior as being the lowest price. And so you typically can't win the business if you're not the lowest price. But what that encourages shippers is to cut corners because it's the only way you can make money. You might find carriers who can't do all the things they would like to do because they feel like the only way they're winning this business is to be the lowest price. And I've told the story before. I won some business being the lowest price. I very seldom ever did this. And I learned my lesson. It was moving lottery tickets. And when it was, and they told me if they're more than two days late, we have to call the FBI. Eh, Cut to the chase. We weren't making any money. I used a carrier we never heard of. And I talked to the FBI <laughs> and then I called, it was a friend of my, a friend of a friend. And when I called him and I said, I know we're not doing business anymore, but you are a friend of a friend. And I'm telling you what you're doing is stupid. I, I'm looking for the cheapest carrier because this is the way we do it. I go, I get it, but you're putting me, I make no money on this and a lot of hassle. I don't even want your business. And I said, it was just a matter of time before this happened to you. I said, it's going to happen again. So we have to get out of this mentality of um, lowest price always and also start working with carriers that have newer trucks, that have the right carrier, the right drivers, but also they're complying to all of the things we should be complying to, including the right insurance. And I think the best carriers are doing that. The best brokers are doing this. I think what happens though, again, especially in tough times like these, there's a real temptation. I'm not even putting anyone down for doing it. They cut corners and the, and the result, results are disastrous. And Joe, we are leading training classes at a large percentage of the top 100 freight brokerages right now where we're teaching their sales teams. I told you Reliance Partners, we're really freight people, even more than insurance people sometimes, but we're educating the sales and operations and risk management teams at large freight brokerages on, hey guys, you're not just wanting to sell on price and capacity all the time. We're doing the same thing at, at large asset-based motor carriers too, is cross-border contracts in Mexico, yeah, you're going to have to be competitive. But honestly, sell on your risk management strategies. If, if you're going to a large shipper that is considering moving 
much of their distribution to, to Mexico or just growing their footprint in Mexico even more. And therefore, had, they have a lot more freight to, to award. Yeah, they're going to continue to look at, at price and capacity. But if you can lead that conversation with, hey, we're so confident about our cross-border risk management strategies that we're going to provide you all risk coverage in Mexico, plus real-time visibility, plus, hey, here's a list of seven of the best practices that we are forced to follow in order to get um, qualified for this borderless coverage program. So that a lot of these freight brokerages and motor carriers will adopt the warranties that we wrote in our policies. And those warranties, boy, those are um, some of the best risk management strategies that there's maybe they're all, they're, they're some of the only strategies you need for your cross-border to program to be a lot more successful. Yep. I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using Greenscreens gain the following advantages faster pricing for both buy-side and sell-side transactions, pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So, Getting back to it, I'm an automotive guy. As you mentioned earlier, I spent much of my career in engineering and manufacturing. And we used to go through these exercises called failure modes effects analysis. <laughs> and one of the things is basically we would get in a room and we'd say, what's all the possible ways this part could fail? And we would describe each and, and we get outlandish. But the more you talk, you end up with 20 things. And then the next thing you say is, how likely is it to happen? But we also would look at what is the impact of it happening. So if you find something that is catastrophic, but at the same time, very likely, obviously, that's what you're going to work on. We can, and by the way, that is FMEAs, how engineers often walk around in their head. They're constantly thinking about risk. And if you're an ops guy, risk should be your biggest concern risk of delivery, quality, quality, also cost. There's risks and you're always trying to get rid of those risks. And that's what insurance is for. And we need to have more compliance. And because basically failure on this front puts you out of business. That's how significant these failures are. Yeah. And, and if you think about the, the structure of a freight brokerage, you'll typically have a risk management or claims team. Separately from that, you'll have an operations and operational sales teams. And those salespeople, they don't always like talking about risk management. They don't want to be slowed down. If they get their first shot at some high value, potentially high margin domestic or cross-border freight, they don't want to have to talk to the risk management teams. They just want to move. They want to move freight faster. And the, those risk management teams when they start seeing a freight broker moving that high value freight without the proper risk management place, they're going to get very angry. That creates significant friction and it's a waste of time inside of a, of a vast base freight brokerage. 
So that the way to fix that is by implementing an all-risk shipper's interest program with really with limits up to a million or $2 million domestically, and then up to say 250, dollars $500,000 for cross border. And when you have that strategy implemented, it, it ends up being a glue between risk management and sales. They end up starting, they, they end up being forced to work together and in speaking with a number of, of COOs and CEOs of very large freight brokerages, they're like, wow, so these sales folks, when they hit a certain threshold of value or a certain commodity that we may not want to move, some red flags go off automatically. And then that freight broker can't proceed in booking that shipment until they check those boxes. And then that risk manager then sees, hey, look at this. Our, our sales teams are naturally following these strategies. And then the CEOs and COOs are like, Hey, we're now moving this higher value, higher margin freight. So good margins, the risk management's much better and sales and operations are all on the same page. That's hard to do, uh, but it, it's really not after you've got a, a program like this in place. Yeah, it's this comes down to we have partners in this business. So in recent years, in the last 10 years, we've recognized the need for technology partners. A lot of companies are recognizing the need for a workforce optimization partner like a lean that can quickly help you scale your business. No one would argue that I should start my own. Well, some people create their own tech, but no need, right? Workforce optimization. We know we, we look at our carriers as partners. We look at the freight brokers as partners. This is just one more partner you need. You need to have somebody who's dotted line on your team to an insurance company like Reliance. So you don't step in it. And again, these are these are mistakes that when they happen, it's all over. The business can't, if you're a small broker and you have a fall down on this, it's over. And by the way, for career-wise, nobody wants to be the guy who has to explain to the boss's boss why I lost a million dollars worth of stuff. And again, we can't assume when we cross the border that the rules are the same. They aren't. There's real risk. Joe, you talked about cutting corners too. And you know what? Freight brokerages in a super tough freight market, like it's been for really the past year and a half, and it's continuing. We're seeing some signs of it getting a little bit better. But people are cutting corners. They are making mistakes. We're getting the calls when these mistakes are made. Brokers are wanting to start going after the, this high-value freight and because that is a way for them to make new revenue and they, they can just, they can do some small things, some really basic blocking and tackling right now that can allow them to really flourish in this brutal market that we're in. I would also say this, I joke about this, but it's no joke. If you had a plumbing problem in your house of the weekend, you don't want to talk to the sales guy at the plumbing company. You want to talk to an expert who's going to come over and solve that problem. We need to upgrade this industry. So you're acting like an expert. I don't, when I go, if I was to go and have a procedure at a medical center, I don't expect that they'll be cutting corners. I expect there's a compliance to a process and it's absolute. The reason airplanes don't fall from the sky 
is because they comply to a very rigid set of rules when they're flying those planes. And we need to get to that mentality because that's it. By the way, if you're a shipper, that's what you should expect. That's what you should, before you start looking at price, say, let's make sure these guys are all doing it right before we talk about price. Because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to compare the guy who's got an old truck and no insurance to the guy who's got a brand new truck, the best driver and fully insured. And you go, yeah, but he's $50 higher. Worth it. <laughs> One other thing I'd want to point out on this topic is that, and you, you mentioned you're in the automotive space. So we actually wrote, a mandate for one of the largest and certainly one of the the fastest growing automotive players in Mexico, especially Northern Mexico, uh, who might make electric vehicles. Um, So we we put together a shipper's interest mandate. So any new carrier, new broker that starts to haul their freight, they've got to have a borderless coverage program implemented. And one of the cool things about this is this large automotive company They said, hey, we don't pay for transportation insurance. Our providers pay for it. But what what we've been able to work out is this large automotive manufacturer, they move so much freight across the border that we were able to get the, the pricing down so low just because of the sheer volume that the shipper moves across the border. So any one of their new trucking companies or any new freight brokerage that they onboard, they're able to get access to this shipper-specific pricing. Yeah, you get that and, volume discount. <laughs> yeah, they, they get a huge discount off of it. And then, hey, they start using th- this program for that one specific shipper, but then they start their whole sales teams, they start to offer it to all of their other clients, and then they start seeing new revenue streams. And it, it's a it's a pretty cool thing because they're getting new revenue streams because they're selling with practical risk management. Yep. And by the way, they're looking at cost only after they said, we, this is the standard we set. So Mark, who's your sweet spot? Who do you work with? I definitely feel like it's that freight brokerages are aggressively growing their geographical footprint in, into Mexico because they have to. Number one, it's because that's where the money's at right now. Two is, hey, if you're a trucking company and you're doing cross-border freight, you're not necessarily seeing the same uh, economic impact as a U.S.-only trucking companies facing. These cross-border trucking companies are crazy profitable, more profitable than they were in the previous year, more profitable than they were two or three years ago. So if you're in cross-border, you're still killing it, even though we're in a, a tough freight economic market. So these freight brokerages that are going after high value domestic freight or starting or growing their footprint in Mexico, that's definitely our sweet spot because their clients, one of the the surveys that we recently pulled to all of our freight brokerage clients are that 40% of their shippers are now asking about cargo insurance in Mexico. And just two years ago, that number was 10%. So it's it's a crazy change, and that's showing that nearshoring is truly happening, and it's also showing that um, groups were willing to, to take on this risk themselves, and they're now looking for um, their freight brokers to provide insurance solutions in Mexico on top of capacity solutions for them in Mexico. Yep. So who's your sweet spot? It's freight brokerages that 
that are in Mexico or growing in Mexico. Awesome. Awesome. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes. So Mark, I like to interview smart, interesting people. We're killing it in our space. Who else should I interview? Sure. So I would definitely suggest to speak to the head of Mexico at at Schneider National. I think that they've um, done some great jobs in implementing some cross-border risk management strategies. I, I think that there's a group out of St. Louis called Sunset Transportation. They've done a great job in implementing another. Give me some names over at these places. <laughs> Here, Bernie Rodarte, he's the friend, he's a colleague. Jose Minaro and John Sutton over at Sunset Transportation. They're doing a great job. All right. Yeah, make those introductions. Sure. Anyway, what it will do is, again, I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. And again, I really like what you guys are doing. I think the time has come that we start looking at insurance more as more of a critical part. We need an insurance partner, just like we need a tech partner, just like we need carrier partners. You can't skimp on this, guys. (laughs) Joe, one of the other things that you mentioned is, hey, are there any shows coming up that we're going to be active in? And we've got the McLeod Conference coming up in the fourth quarter in Phoenix, Arizona. McLeod is one of the leading TMSs out there. Recently integrated our shipper's interest, all risk product within McLeod. So if you're in McLeod, you can now grab shipper's interest within your TMS. And we can do that with any TMS out there through our API, but it's fully automated in McLeod. And some of the groups I mentioned earlier, they're leveraging that. I love it. I love it. It's about time. And again, the shippers, you should expect this and brokers and carriers, you need to step up and do it because this is going to be the new bar. Thank you so much, Mark. I love what you guys are doing. Hey, Joe, great spending some time with you today. Have a good one. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.